0: So, welcome to 21st Century Saints Live, a live streaming podcast for people affiliated to or adjacent to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints in the United Kingdom and around the world. I'm your host, Jane Christie, and uh, this is my co host, Alana Wilson Bryce. <laughs> We are together here um, in accordance with local guidelines on COVID, um, just to sort of reassure everyone about that. And we are so excited today to to have our first guest for this launch episode, um, Brother Richard Osler. So before I start, can I just check, are you, what are we going to call you today? Are you going to be Papa Osler, (laughs) Brother Osler? Richard.
1: Richard Osler's fine Richard
0: <laughs> okay I may just in case you needed us you know sir is another option I guess but you, know, you can keep us right so if it's okay could you would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself about your your, your pedigree who, who are you and all those good things
1: yeah I'm a, uh, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah I'm a married father, I've been married 30 years. We have six children and three grandchildren. I've active Latter-day Saint and um, had a couple gay men in a church assignment when I was Bishop in a singles ward and and really spent quite a bit of time listening to um, those gay men tell me about their journey and just gradually stepped in the space of trying to be a voice of support to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. as they walk a more difficult road than straight Latter-day Saints do. And I'm supportive of the church and our leaders and our doctrine, and I'm also supportive of bringing more understanding to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints.
0: I love that. I love that. And I had first gotten to know a bit of your work as you had started um, just just talking. You you were just sort of, you know, um, you, you'd message out on Twitter and Facebook, and immediately we could see, okay here's here's someone who um we you know can be i I can talk to this guy this is this is very cool you're a member of the church and you are someone who is clearly safe um and i love that so what i'm going to do is just encourage if anyone has any comments or any questions that you would like to share with um with brother osler with Okay, Papa Osler. No, I'm Richard. sorry. It's, I'm going to keep it as Papa. You can do it, okay?
1: <laughs> Papa Oster is
0: I always call
2: you Papa Osler because that's what Ben first told me. <laughs> yeah, we have
0: a mutual <laughs> So it's always stuck. So if you have any comments or questions that you would like to ask as we go through the presentation that, um, that Richard has for us, please do enter them in the comments <laughs> and we can ask... Um, as we kick off, um, today is Friday the 16th of April at 6 o'clock, BST, and uh, Brother Osler, could we just hand over to you to take us through the, the presentation that you have?
1: Yes, so I'm going to share my screen um, for all of you, and this is a presentation that I give in church settings um, whenever I'm asked to speak, and so I will just kind of go through these slides And um, that's my email address. You're welcome to, I'll send Jane and Alana a copy of this presentation. You're welcome to ask them for a copy of it, or there's my email address if you'd like to directly email with me. As I mentioned to Jane and Alana earlier, I'm an active member of the church and support and sustain our leaders, Uh, but I believe just we can do a better job of supporting LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. This is a topic where I'm not, my goal isn't to have everybody feel exactly the same, but a framework for faithful discussions. That's a picture of our family. As I mentioned, we have six children and a few grandchildren and we don't have any LGBTQ in our immediate family. Um, <clears throat> President Ballard at BYU gave a, a talk and part of his talk <clears throat> is this quote, and I won't read the whole quote, I'll kind of pick it up in the middle. We need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly what we must do better than we have in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them, where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord. So everything I'm doing and really the umbrella for what um, this YouTube video is, is Mm -hmm. to honor President Ballard's charge to the church to do better in this space. Um, Sister Fiona Gibbons, the Latter-day Saint author. I love this quote, every Latter-day Saint who wishes to bear one another's burdens must first touch that person's cross to understand the nature and depth of the pain being carried. And and that's really part of understanding the story of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is you've got to hear their stories to understand how to help touch their cross and ultimately lift their burden. As I mentioned, I was serving as a singles ward bishop in Salt Lake City um, and during that time, I had a few gay men in my ward, and gradually I felt an impression to use a computer term to wipe my hard drive clean. I realized over time that everything I'd concluded about LGBTQ people was some straight people, and I didn't know what bad information I had in me. Um, <clears throat> we would call that homophobia. Um, <clears throat> and so Heavenly Father just said, maybe you should just start from scratch and let LGBTQ people define them for you versus having straight people define them for you. And that's just been transforming for me. I've listened to thousands of stories of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints given hundreds of blessings. And I just feel like I'm starting to see them the way Heavenly Father sees them. These are a couple quotes. The first one is from one of my favorite LDS Institute instructors. He says, in some matters, it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will leave us a great deal to be certain about while maintaining the humility to learn. And then Elder Uchdorf, in a worldwide training, I'll just pick up the last couple lines of his quote um, We can block the growth of knowledge your Heavenly Father intends for us. How happened is the Holy Spirit has tried to tell us something we needed to know? To know? that couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew. So I'm 60 years old and I have massive iron gates of things I thought I knew about LGBTQ people. And it takes humility, it takes um, a willingness to learn, a willingness to walk back prior opinions. And the benefit of that is we can help better meet the needs of other people and lift their burdens. And that kind of leads to our baptism covenants for, I assume, most people listening are LDS or connected with the LDS church, where there's a scripture in the Book of Mormon and Mosiah. And Alma's extending a baptism invitation at the waters of Mormon. And he first talks in this baptism covenant, baptism invitation about going horizontal. He talks about bare morning comfort, which to me is the horizontal part of our baptism covenant that goes sideways to our fellow humans. There's the vertical aspect of our baptism covenant, which is commandment keeping and my relationship with heavenly parents. But I find when I do better with my horizontal one, my vertical one does better and they're interrelated. So that's just a key part of our responsibility as Latter-day Saints. Um, I go through these acronyms. Some of you may be familiar, some may not. A lesbian is a female Um, with sexual orientation, the same sex. Now, sexual orientation doesn't mean she's sexually active. It just means that's how she's wired. And as I'll talk later, that's fine to be a lesbian and and be um, in full fellowship in the church. It's just a matter of what are you keeping church teachings. Gay is male or female with sexual orientation, the same sex. Bisexual is male or female with sexual orientation to both sexes. Um, Transgender is a whole different group. It's not about sexual orientation, it's about gender identity. And that's where their gender identity does not match their biological sex. And we'll talk about gender dysphoria a little later. Queer, which is a very negative term when I was growing up, is now being generally embraced as a positive term, as an umbrella term to describe anybody that's not straight or not gender, or just questioning. Um, I want to take you to England, because I served my mission in the England Manchester Mission. And um, this is a famous church in Hawkshead, which is in Cumbria, um, which is part of our mission. And in 1980, our mission president, Ellis Ivory, wanted to change the church culture. He felt our church culture was too much us versus the Church of England and we were demonizing them. So he did something very unusual. He held an all-mission conference in this church in England, and guess what? The vicar spoke to us, the mission president spoke to us, and we felt the spirit in that Church of England. None of us joined the Church of England, but what happened is we humanized the Church of England, and our baptisms significantly increased. We became the top English-speaking baptizing mission in the whole church. And it's because we give a fact-based discussion of about the beautiful truths of our restored doctrine without demonizing the Church of England. And he taught us to hire a holier way. And it was transformative for me. Now, um, the missionary that picked me up in the Manchester airport, some of you may know him. He's Alan MacArthur who is the state president in your area. I think he's been released. Jane was talking about him. He is somewhere in that picture. <laughs> um, this actually happened right before I got there. So I have a real soft spot for the UK, for Scotland. The closest I've ever been to Scotland was when I served on the Isle of Man. And we went to the north of the Isle of Man on P-Day and we looked straight north. And any of you that know the geography there, that's looking into Scotland. And I think Glasgow is straight north of the Isle of Man. Um, 35 years later, one of our missionaries went to that church. um, And they were were in the middle of a fundraiser to save money for the Tower Bell. And that missionary thought, wouldn't it be cool if we paid back the courtesy that was extended us 35 years ago in 1980? So we raised $20,000. And that's the new mission president, the new vicar same church, obviously. Um, but we just came together as the same human family. No one sold out any doctrine, but I think we actually owned our doctrine um, to bring us together. And I love these kind of stories. Elder Uchdorf teaches, fear rarely is the power to change our hearts and it will never transform us into people who love what is right and want to obey Heavenly Father. Never look down on any other religion or group of people. Um, Brene Brown is a social scientist. Um, She's an an American. She talks, she has some quotes, at times I'll share them. Common enemy intimacy is the opposite of true belonging. If the bond we share is simply we hate the same people, the intimacy we experience is intense, gratifying, and an easy way to discharge our outrage and pain. It's not, however, fuel for real connection. So you've been watching our political world here in the States. Um, and um, it's very divisive here in the States, and you may feel that way in your part of the world too. Um, What I like to say is I'm in my political party because of the merits of that political party, but I don't want to then demonize the other political party or uh, make up false truths just to justify my position because that's common enemy intimacy. I don't go to church just to talk bad about other religions. Um, I go to church to learn how to be a better Christian, and better connect, and be a better person. So just some thoughts on common enemy intimacy. Um, I'm going to go back and tell one more story about England. The missionary who was my first companion is Elder David Rutley. And he told me that he was going to be a member of parliament one day. And I, I thought, David, you're not going to be a member of parliament. And then after spending two months with David Rutley in 1980, I thought he's going to be a member of parliament. And as some of you may know, he is a member of Parliament um, representing the Macclesfield area in the UK. So great things happen <laughs> in the UK. Uh, and this was a really difficult thing. This next slide. This is a young man who died by suicide. This is an Instagram post that I captured and made a PowerPoint out of it with the permission of his mother. She posted on on Instagram, the day after he died by suicide, is I lost my son yesterday to suicide. He's a beautiful young man with so much to give. My son is gay. He was a square peg trying to fit a round hole and suffered immensely. We can be recognizing differences and loving others. And I saw this post and I didn't know this woman, but I just felt an impression from Heavenly Father that he wanted me to step in this space as my YSA assignment was ending and just help bridge the gap. Um, between um, Latter-day Saints and LGBTQ people in general and LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in particular. That led me eventually to write a book. This book is at Desert Book, it's at Amazon. I think Jane mentioned she's read it. All the proceeds to this book go to the foundation, Memorial Foundation for that young man who died by suicide. This is all just a labor of love. Everything I do, the podcast, the book is just self-funded to bring more understanding. Nephi 10 is a scripture I've thought about my whole life. Uh, He that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them. And I've always never thought about that being LGBTQ people, but then I thought one day, well, they're a mystery. (laughs) How do they fit into God's plan? Why would God allow anybody or create anybody to be LGBTQ? What can I do to lift their burdens? But the formula is there, is I need to diligently seek. I need to get past Elder Uchtdorf's massive iron gates and be willing to learn. And I do that by the power of the Holy Ghost and by listening to stories. Um, I didn't know a lot of the things the church was teaching. I had kind of heard things that I'd picked up in the 80s and 90s. And these are some of the things the church teaches that you may or may not be aware of. Um, The first bullet point is the church does not teach that being gay or lesbian is a choice or the exercise of agency. So that is a big change from when I was growing up that we taught this was a choice and we could somehow unchoose it. And that is what the church teaches that this is not a choice. Someone doesn't choose to be gay or lesbian. And the second point is the church does not teach that someone who has same sex attraction can change or eliminate that. That's a major change. Um, it takes the responsibility off the LGBTQ person to be straight. Um, as stated, a change in attract, attraction, attraction should not be expected or demanded as an outcome by parents or leaders. Um, President Oaks has talked about we don't recommend a heterosexual marriage as a solution for same gender feelings. Some of those work, and I've done podcasts with those, but the church doesn't recommend that as a universal solution. Pray the Gay Away is the idea the LGBTQ person just makes, just wears their knees out in making deals. Um, I've sat with many that have made these deals. Take my arms, take my eyes, just make me straight. I'll be the most obedient missionary ever. Um, endless deals with God. And that just puts somebody in just an impossible situation. I don't like to put bounds on the atonement of Jesus Christ. Um, but maybe it's like being left-handed or red hair or blue-eyed. The atonement can't change this. Um, This is part of the beautiful and needed diversity of God's plan. But the atonement can help everybody be at peace. Uh, In my book, I wrote a chapter about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And a lot of LGBTQ commented that the idea that Christ descended below all things is taught in D&C gives hope that somehow Christ knows my road, and and can heal my broken heart, Um, not healing my broken heart to be straight, just healing my broken heart so I can move forward as an LGBTQ person in the world. Um, I'm just going to read the yellow here. Identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or experiencing same-sex attraction is not a sin and does not prohibit someone from participating in church Callings holding callings or attending the temple. Um, there are active temple recommending holding church members who comply with the law of chastity identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. We did a podcast two weeks ago with a seminary teacher in Utah County, that's south of Salt Lake City, who's gay. He's married to a woman, he's active in the church, but he just felt it was finally time in his 40s to talk about being gay. And he's still a seminary teacher. <laughs> Um, but he's just—we're maturing as a church and a society that we recognize somebody like that is needed in our faith community. And, and being gay doesn't any way diminish his ability to be an effective seminary teacher or father or priesthood holder. It just makes his road harder. <laughs> uh, ben Shalati, This picture is a picture of Ben Shalotti. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a Honor Code officer at BYU. He's a professor at BYU. He's gay. He is single, he's a high counselor, and he says, let me label myself as I please. In this middle section, the darkest times in my life when I didn't identify as gay. Choosing to identify as gay has been wonderful and freeing. My commitment to the restored gospel has not changed since I started labeling myself as gay. I live church standards as always, always have, but what has changed that I don't hate myself anymore. Now, that was That kind of blew my mind the first time I read that, because I thought labeling yourself as gay is the first step to leaving the church or being in a same-sex marriage. But I recognize the shame and the self-loathing that we create if we say, don't talk about this, don't take on the label. We're embarrassed about this part of you, so you should be embarrassed about it. But if people can kind of own this part about themselves and actually believe that their heavenly parents love all of them, then they just do better in life. They, they don't hate themselves. And they realize they, they're loved by heavenly parents and hopefully by all of us, and they can make their way forward in a much healthier way. But for some, that's being open about their sexual orientation and knowing that people still love them, being aware of their sexual orientation. This is just a quote um, from a mother of a transgender child. I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Who would want to be LGBTQ? Instead, Satan takes these precious children of God and tells them they're worthless. He tells them there's no place for them. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear families apart and drive people away. He is succeeding, not because this group has been deceived and are now gay or trans. He is succeeding because he's keeping us coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. I Won't read all of that, but I just love that. I, um, I believe that. And I think that's what Elder Ballard is teaching us. Um, and this is another quote from an early morning seminary teacher. Teachers, please be aware you likely have LGBTQ students or two in every class. Let them know that being gay is not a sin. It's not a choice, um, but they feel alone. Let them know that you love them and listen to their experiences. Ask how you can help. We now have openly gay missionaries serving in our missions, and they are some of our finest adults. How wonderful. We can be better at supporting and loving them. And I won't read any more of that quote, but I'll tell you a story of Elder Carpenter is gay. He's Um, told his bishop and his state president he's gay. He went on a mission. He told his mission president he's gay. And guess what his mission president did? He didn't say, don't talk about this. He said, will you teach our mission how to be more supportive of LGBTQ people? Um, Another missionary, Elder McLaughlin, in a public Facebook post, he's a missionary. He came out as a missionary as gay. Um, Probably the first time anybody's ever come out during their mission using social media, and you know what touched me the most? His companion, and the comments his companion made on his Facebook post about his own missionary companion. I go back to England and maybe what I was taught to do if I ever had a gay companion, which was wrong, to be unkind, maybe even physically abusive, and what this missionary companion did for his gay companion, nothing changed. And and perhaps his straight companion knew that Elder McLaughlin would help them be able to reach more people um, because he would be able to help people on the margins of society understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ could help them. And maybe that's partly why this mission president wanted to use Elder Carpenter in the first example to help their mission um, so that they could do a better job of teaching our beautiful gospel to LGBTQ investigators. I used to hear LGBTQ or gay people and think of a different group of people on a different road. And now I just think of them as our own people. Um, about four to 6% of Americans identify as LGBTQ. It's higher in your neck of, in your world. But if we, if we assume that four to 6% was true of all Latter-day Saints worldwide, 16 million, that means there's 780,000 of our own people that identify as LGBTQ. And I don't think Heavenly Father is made a mistake here. I don't think he's capable of being surprised or making a mistake. So somehow in his plan, this is part of his plan. Um, no one should feel shame how they're created. Um, I think everybody, whether they're straight or LGBTQ looks in the mirror, and needs to be on the same moral footing that I'm created the way I'm supposed to be created. Um, this is a picture of a BYU football stadium. Those of you that like BYU football, um, anyway, we could, if we took every LGBTQ Latter-day Saint and put them, now I want to go to Liverpool, Manchester United or Liverpool, some of those big stadiums that were in my mission and update this slide for your audience. But anyway, fill our stadium 12 times with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. That's a lot of our own people. Um, this is, a, This is a, I'm on Twitter as I think... Um, These two hosts mentioned that I'm Papa Osser on Twitter. My high school son named me Papa Osser. It's kind of a long story. Um, But if you're LGBTQ, I asked this on Twitter, what's your hope of the resurrection to change your sexual orientation to the next life? um, To straight. And Vance Bryce answered this, and it made an impact on me. He's gay. He's in the church. He's celibate. And he says, if a person teaches your wrong orientation will change the correct orientation when you die, You should expect they'll want to die, even if someone's ruled out suicide. Living is hard when you exist wrongly. Now, let me just build some nuance or some grayness. Some LGBTQ Latter-day Saints I talked to look forward to the resurrection to be straight. They would welcome relief. It's a hard road. But some, like Vance, actually don't think this is something that needs to be carved out of them. they don't, they look at their whole divine essence, and this is part of it. Their Christ-like attributes, their gifts, their contributions to the community, they don't particularly want this carved out of them. Um, and some, we don't, some also look at the resurrection as the final ace in the whole to be straight, being suicide. And they, and we don't want anybody to choose suicide to be straight. So I just want I like the. I think the principle of the resurrection is we all have hope for what we want to be in the next life. Um, and let's just, everybody lets themselves determine a little bit, especially LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, what their hopes are versus kind of our hopes for them, if that's okay to say it that way. Uh, ben Shalati, back to Ben, he has a single straight sister, and he makes the point that they're different. Um, my sister is 36 and single, and we talked about this a b- bunch. She gets to date, flirt, and pray every night, she'll find a man who will take her to the temple. My biggest fear is that I'll fall in love with a man. So, Ben's in lockdown mode, his sexual orientation is towards men. And if he wants to stay in the church and have this assignment at BYU, he's got to make sure he doesn't fall in love with a man. So, he's kind of in emotional lockdown mode, and his sister. And then he goes on to say, it's not easy for her either. It's just different. And I always thought those were exactly the same. You're both just kind of being celibate and single, but it is different. And that's part of what I'm trying to do is share differences so we can better mourn, bear and comfort and realize the sacrifice that Ben's making just to sort of lock down that part of himself. Um, he wrote a book. It's a desert book. And he talks about falling in love with the guy and just how he managed that and how he, he how he ended that relationship so he could fully stay in the church. But most of my LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in the church have a lot of empathy for those that have separated from the, from the church because they know it can be really hard at times. And, and I just think that sitting with people in their pain helps to sort of um, let them move forward if we acknowledge the difficulty of their road. This is a painting Jesus Love everybody. and It has the pride colors. The pride colors For some, Latter-day Saints are really positive and for others are deeply triggering. (laughs) And I just wanted to share some thoughts on this, that the pride colors sometimes signify that you're a safe person. This is a seminary teacher in Utah that's put this painting in her office. She came on the podcast and she just wanted to signal to her students that she's a safe person. And for her LGBTQ students and her straight students, and I love this idea. I, as a singles ward bishop, started the last year of my assignment posting things on Facebook and Twitter that were, I said kind things about LGBTQ people. And what happened was fascinating. Um, A bunch of straight, no more LGBTQ YSAs came out to me, but several straight YSAs sort of said, okay, I can talk to this guy. If he's going to be kind to LGBTQ people, which we should do, Um, I can talk to him and open up for the first time to a trusted adult. And isn't that what we want as parents or as local leaders? If we say kind things about people on the margins, which is what Christ did, it not only lifts their burdens, but it makes us a safe person for others. I'm shifting gears and I'm kind of watching my clock here. Um, I want to introduce um, our transgender Latter-day Saints with Catherine Schweitzer, who's not transgender, but in 1967, that's probably before anybody on this call is born but me. <laughs> um, I was six years old. Uh, maybe not. Maybe there's some people my age on YouTube. But anyway, she wanted to run the Boston Marathon. And I assume you can still hear my volume okay, Chris Jane? Yeah, okay. I just It changed in my ear. Um, she wanted to run the Boston Marathon. You couldn't register as male or female in 1967. So she just ran it. And the race officials saw her running it and tried to run after her and take off her number. And if you look carefully at 261, that's Jane, uh, that's, sorry, Catherine um, being tracked down. And in 20, 50 years later in 2017, that's Catherine Schweitzer, same number running the Boston Marathon. But in 2017, four years ago, nobody on, on this channel right now would think twice about a woman running a marathon. So what's changed? Well, God always knew in 1967 that Catherine could run the marathon and women could. We just didn't have experience. We didn't know women runners. Um, We didn't understand the science that women are strong, just like men, and could run marathons. And so will we, 50 years from now, understand a lot more about why someone is transgender? And will we want to go back in time and say, I wish we were kinder in 2021 to transgender people? Because now I really understand why someone feels that way. Because um, there's not a lot of science right now. And there's just stories of why people feel this way. The best way I can introduce a trans- transgender Latter-day Saint to you is this story that uh, it's in my book, Nika Allgood is the mother of a transgender son. And in the second bullet point, she talks about being carsick. And if you ever gotten carsick, it's that nauseating, headache-inducing wrongness than the disagreement between your mind and body. So I'm taking you back to anybody who's been car sick. Think of that moment. You're in the back seat. You're about ready to throw up. You can't control. You're not driving the car. Um, You feel it every time. And this is sort of what transgender people, this is what gender dysphoria, which is the root of transgender, is it's this wrongness you feel every time you wear the wrong clothes or call the wrong pronoun or hear your own voice or look in the mirror or someone looks at you and sees something you're not. Every time you think about yourself, it's like a knife in the gut, because it's wrong, wrong, wrong. And it's not you, and it won't go away, and it won't stop, and it hurts. And I won't read all that, but um, that's the best way I can describe gender dysphoria. It's, It's somebody whose biological sex doesn't match how they feel about themselves. I am biologically male, and I feel male. So I am cisgender everything lines up. But if somebody who's transgender just feels, you know, if they're biologic, born at birth, assigned at birth to some of the vocabulary is male, and they, but they feel female, that's the gender dysphoria. And so just like when you're car sick, you want to do anything to solve that. And that's where people transition. And that's, that's transgender, the levels of, you know, that's the process of transitioning. Um, and some of that's, okay with church teachings, and some of that's against church teachings. It's okay, for example, from a, a therapist um, to take estrogen if you're, or test, a test, testrogen, sorry, testosterone. I always get confused on the second one. Um, and let me give an example. I did a podcast with an LDS bishop. He's biologically male. He identifies as male. He's married to a woman. He's active in the church, but he feels gender dysphoria. And he takes estrogen. And do you know what it does? It just takes that car sickness away that he can manage it enough. And I have no idea why he feels that way. Um, but he feels that way and he's felt that way for decades. And he did a podcast with us. And I've done many podcasts now with people that feel gender dysphoria. And we could just say that's a sign of the last days or say deceiving people. Or we could put that on the shelf a little bit and listen to stories of of transgender Latter-day Saints before I form an opinion about this group of people. Um, We can all get out of the car. If we're car sick, that ends. But for someone that's transgender or feels gender dysphoria, it doesn't end. So that's why they transition. And as I mentioned, some of that, like top and bottom surgery, is inconsistent with church teachings, but some um, is okay with church teachings. And the church just came out with a new website Um, specifically for transgender Latter-day Saints. It's just a landing page right now, um, but it's the first time the church has ever done anything like that. So I think it's recognizing that this is a real thing for some um, Latter-day Saints. Elder Elder Holland talks about the choir. The choir, to me, is where there's harmony because there's differences. And he talks about there's room for those who had questions regarding their faith, um, there's room for those who still do, and there's room for those with different sexual attractions. One of my favorite New Testament um, stories is Paul, Body of Christ in Corinthians 12. And this, to me, is the goal for our congregations and for our families. And this is the doctrinal foundation for a lot of the work that I'm trying to do and others are trying to do, and and you're good hosts here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Um, We can't look at one member of the part of the body and say it's more honorable or less honorable. I believe in this last bullet point. We can't become the church God wants us to be without our LGBTQ members. They bring unique gifts and contributions. When I stepped into space, I thought I'd be the good Samaritan kind of help rescue. But they have my LGBTQ friends have rescued me. They've taught me things about Jesus and his teachings and the atonement and kindness and empathy and love that no one else has ever taught me. They've broken my heart in a wonderful, good way. And I'm grateful for them, but we need them in our lives, in our congregations. And they've been marginalized and they've been pushed to the side. And yeah, there's some LGBT people are angry at the church, but there's some straight people angry at the church. So let's just don't pin, um, let's don't pigeonhole a whole group with one narrative skipping some slides. This is a painting by Carl Block of, of the Pool of Bethesda. And I think about this. This is where all the marginalized people, God didn't marginalize them, society marginalized them. So they came to the Pool of Bethesda, but there's Christ and look at his hand. It's taking me visually to somebody at the Pool of Bethesda that covered himself at the Pool of Bethesda because he feels even unclean there. And so Christ is saying, who is that person in my life? and And YouTube watchers, you can't save everybody. Don't leave this presentation being burdened like I've got to do something big. And just just look for one person in your life that's under that tarp right now that just needs a kind note from you. Um, that's all we need to do. It's not a very high bar. Um, it's not a complex formula. It's just being kind and loving people. And then you can read some scriptures there. We do when we do that, we're really doing what we're serving Christ. Um, I look at the this is how I kind of conceptualize things. <laughs> I look at the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members like a 40 chapter book, and I don't feel we're in four, chapter 40. I don't know what chapter we're in, and I don't want to imply future chapters of changes to policy or doctrine, but they could. Um, But this is what chapter 40 looks like to me. It's where congregations are the balm of Gilead for all members. Um, Another example is when a mother is learning that her 14-year-old son or daughter is gay, has no fear. But she has the same level of hope for a straight child in our church and society in the next life. And currently, when a mom learns she's got a gay kid, it just fills her with fear. And I don't think Chapter 40 has that fear. And I believe our LGBTQ message is part of the Plan of Salvation message that our missionaries take to the world. Now I'm not an activist. An act, I don't. I let the church leaders who I stand in support figure out if there are future chapters and what they look like. I don't know Heavenly Father's will, um, but that's just my feeling. That I think it's okay to be a faithful Latter-day Saint and okay to say we're not, don't feel like we're at the finish line on this issue. I look at on another chapter, book of chapters, is our ability to build temples worldwide. I think we're in chapter 38 of that. We know how to build temples worldwide. We're continuing to announce temples. We know administratively how to do that. Um, we're really good at temple building as a church. We're really good at missionary program. I just think this is an area in our restored church where we just have more work to do, and the fact you're listening right now gives me hope that Each of us will just make, you know, change hearts within our circle. Um, I think it's okay to talk about earlier chapters because it helps heal people. So Ben in a blog post talks about some of the painful things that happened to him. However, there was an active woman who emphatically accused me of being addicted to pornography because that's the only way someone would develop such deviant thoughts of same-sex attraction. There was the bishop's wife who compared me to a pedophile multiple times. So we all cringe when we hear that. Um, But it's the reality of life for um, a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And when people open up about their painful experiences, I can support, sustain our leaders and sit with somebody in their pain and validate the pain because that helps them, I think, move forward. Usually it doesn't drive any wedge they have with the church deeper to just acknowledge their painful experiences. Um, Just a comment about pornography. I wrote an Ensign article about pornography. Um, It's in the October Ensign. But my feeling about pornography, it's a window into sexual orientation, not something that changes sexual orientation. I invite everybody to stay clear of pornography. It's a sin. But I don't think it changes sexual orientation. Um, And there may be some nuance there, some minor few exceptions to that. But I Um, That's my experience um, just moving forward now. Sometimes I see things that feel like a new chapter. The fact you're doing this right now is a new chapter in the UK. Um, I saw our Tabernacle Choir sing with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus in June of 18. There's our leader shaking hands with the choir director. No one, to me, that's just coming together as the same human family. No one's sold out any doctrine or compromised. Um, And I think that makes our heavenly parents really happy when we come together in our differences. Elder Cook gave a quote in October conference where he said, unity and diversity. I think that's the high bar. I think unity and sameness is the low bar. And And that's okay to be unified in sameness. People that believe the same, people of the same race, the same political party, the same worldview, that's fine. But I think being unified in diversity, when you're Find unity with people that are different than you is really what makes our heavenly parents happy. It always makes what, me happy as a father. Now I'm looking at my time. Um, this is an important slide. There's a bunch of round pegs and a bunch of round holes with the exception of one square peg. And that represents an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint. And if you look at the bottom of that peg, um, it's fraying because of all the work that LGBTQ Lattery Saint is doing to fit in. Fitting in is about assessing a situation, in this case, round holes, and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So people that come out and let us know they're a square peg, they come out as LGBTQ, then it helps us to help then the responsibility is on us to create a feeling of belonging. President Ballard in April conference talked about belonging all throughout his talk. He talked about more than half of the church members are not married and it's on us to create a feeling of belonging for them and to see their contributions. Um, one of my viewers once said, do you realize there's no square holes there? And, and that viewer is right. It's on our responsibility to create square holes. Um, so that our LGBTQ members have a feeling of belonging. And BYU has done that for Ben Chilotti. Um, He is an honor code officer. He's a key administrator at BYU. Um, someday in general conference, we'll have an LGBTQ person speak, and it will just be kind of normal. <laughs> Not everybody will be LGBTQ, but we had a lot of Black people speak. We have more and more women speak, and I just think that's part of creating a feeling of belonging is to have everybody contribute to the body of Christ. Um, Elder Uchtdorf says, sometimes we confuse differences in personality with sin. We can even make the mistake that thinking because someone is different from us, it must mean they're not pleasing to God. Um, We put together a resource center, listen, learn, and love.org. And it's just meant to be a resource center that supported the church and also tools to support LGBTQ people. We do a lot of podcasts. we released podcast 400 today, and this is the landing page. you can just kind of if you want to listen to podcasts by podcast type, this is where they're listed. and I won't go through them, but you can kind of just see them there. Um, and then we do lots of non-LGBTQ podcasts. We're just trying to talk about all kind of the more difficult topics that we need to talk about within the walls of our church. Um, and you can see a lot of the stories there. We did a lot on pornography. Um, and that was a follow-up to the Ensign article that I mentioned. Um, can I keep my temple recommended support gay marriage? Elder Christofferson teaches an important principle here. Um, he, this is a question he's asked in the top part and the bottom part he gives the answer. And this is Elder Christofferson. It doesn't really become a problem unless someone is out attacking the church and its leaders. If it's a deliberate and persistent effort to try to get others to follow them, draw others away, pull people, who you will, out of the church, away from its teachings. So I think where we cross the line is not attending a gay wedding or not supporting a child going into a gay wedding. But if we sort of create, you know, an effort to change the church or to change leaders or movements, I think that's what Elder Christofferson is trying to teach. Here. And I think that's an important thing because sometimes even people giving temple recommends don't know how to navigate that. So I wrote quite a bit of that in the book and Elder Christopherson I think, teaches a key principle here. Um, not belonging is the I want you to think of a 17 year old gay youth in our church that's facing five decades of being celibate. Um, he or she, if they want to in the church and they don't feel a mixed orientation marriage is possible for them. Not belonging is the most terrifying destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's a feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change it. In the extreme, it can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. That, to me, captures, you know, the feelings of some, Um, LGBTQ lottery saints, particularly our gay and lesbian youth, um, as they face all these decades of being alone and not having the possibility of of sharing their life with somebody. Um, And so what do we do? We empathize, we value, we acknowledge the difficulty of their road. Um, And that's the best best answer I can give, is to acknowledge the situation and sit with them in the pain. Um, This is uh, an American car. I realize I sometimes don't have an American audience. Anyway, my dad in the late 70s was a state president in Salt Lake, and state presidents process missionary papers, as you know. But he was not processing his own son's mission papers. Um, his own son, my oldest brother, was not going on a mission, and in fact, it connected with another faith. And on a Sunday afternoon, after dad was coming home from me, after dad was done from his meetings, he loaded us in a family station wagon. Um, my oldest brother's five younger siblings. And we went to a small Christian church in downtown Salt Lake City. And we watched my brother get baptized into another Christian church. And that was a painful moment for my parents. But it was, in my mind, their finest moment. Because they just said nothing any of our kids are going to do is going to take them outside the circle the family love. And my brother's in his mid-60s. My dad just turned 90 (laughs) They have a great relationship. My brother's never returned to the church, but my dad just sees my brother for the contributions he's making in society. He doesn't see them as somebody that's in or out of the church at this point. He's left all that at the Savior's feet and just loves him. And they have the sweetest relationship. And it's just, to me, that makes our heavenly parents really happy when we find unity and diversity and we keep the family circle. That's such a key part of our doctrine is the strength of the family circle. And if we have family members that have left the church or are walking a different road, I think keeping the family circle together in our differences, which takes work, um, takes good communication and boundaries is what makes us what keeps us together. Um, Tom Christofferson wrote a book. He's the younger brother of Elder D. Todd Christofferson. He's gay. He was in a same-sex partnership for 20 years. And he talks about how his parents just loved him and his partner, um, the same way they loved Elder Christofferson and, and his wife. And yeah, Tom was living outside the teachings of the church, but he wasn't outside the circle of the family's love. And that is a key book for parents with LGBTQ youth saying, I can love and support my church and I can love and support my LGBTQ kids, even those that step away. That's not a dichotomy that to fully love and follow the church, I need to stop loving some people. I can do both. I don't need to develop that false dichotomy in my mind. The commandment is to love others. It's an unconditional commandment. I'll skip some of these in the interest of time. Um, Sad heaven is this idea coined by John Ogden that we mourn now a future outcome. Um, I There's a basketball team in Utah called the Utah Jazz, and it's like me mourning right now they're going to lose again in the playoffs and feeling all that emotional pain right now. Sad heaven is when we conclude people that we love aren't going to be with us in the next life, and we mourn empty chairs, and I invite all of us not to do that. Um, We are all our beautiful doctrine teaches we're all divine. We're all sons and daughters of heavenly parents. I think they want to do everything they can to get all of us back. Now that doesn't take commandment, keeping off the table. um, But it just, I think I just would be cautious for us to look at someone's state right now and infer where they're going to be in the eternities. And because we can't control that anyway, but what we can control is we love people. Um, There's a quote in my book, it's from a tweet I saw from, and it says, we as Latter-day Saints need to stop stop loving people because our love will bring them back to the church and start loving people because they deserve to be loved. And this non-agenda love to me is the most impactful in people's lives. um, If they open up about wanting potentially to return to the church or a difficult situation um, and I just think that love is the healing balm that binds us together that other Updork talks about. So this is my concluding slide. Is I love the example of my mission president taught us in Hawkshead in Cumbria, which is south of you by so many miles. Um, and my mission president is alive still. He was in his 30s when he took us to Hawkshead. see um, LGBTQ people as our people. Um, they're on this call, they're in our congregations, in our families, and as they hear kinder and more supportive messages, they may open up about this part of them to you, and that can often be very healing. Um, See their good and accomplishments. Perfect love casts out fear. I don't have any fear of LGBTQ people um, anymore. They're my friends. Um, I also have great faith and support in our leaders, and um, my testimony of the church is really sound. It comes through the beautiful restored doctrine that came through the prophet Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, loving heavenly parents that I have a personal relationship, the atonement of Jesus Christ, not only to take away sin, but heal my broken heart. We're all wounded. We all knew the healing power of the atonement, um, modern day prophets, temples. And there's some fallen dominoes I have in my testimony, things that I'm uncomfortable about. Some of the things we've said and done about LGBTQ people, about some of the things we've said about women and blacks. And I think it's my state president has given me kind of permission to have a fallen domino or two or things I'm uncomfortable about as I make my way forward as a faithful Latter-day Saint. And so I share that just to be honest and vulnerable that you may have a fallen domino or two um, things that you just haven't been able to reconcile. That's okay. We still need you. Um, But I come back to the fundamental restored doctrine of our church that keeps me a fully believing member. Um, And that's just kind of the end of my presentation. And I hope you felt the spirit here. And I hope that ideas and impressions came into your mind on what you could do to lift the burdens of others. And if you're LGBTQ, um, I just think you're created the way Heavenly Parents intended you to be created. I think this somehow is part of your divine mission. And you may have and may continue to really not like this part about yourself, but it may make your whole life mission possible. And you may have been even in the pre-mortal life and kind of worked this out with your Heavenly Father, that this would be part of mortality. And this would allow your mortal mission to be possible, even though it's very difficult. And you may be able to reach and heal and give hope to people that you wouldn't be able to reach without this part of your life. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ and amen, and turn it back to Jane and Alana.
0: thank awesome. you thank you that was absolutely wonderful we've enjoyed every every more moment
1: of- and i wish i could put on my scottish accent that i used <laughs> to have when i was in the isle of man and this is about all i could i used to try to convince the little kids that i was scottish and i, I wasn't american and did it's a terrible accent <laughs>
0: Oh, um keep working on that you know we're all a work in progress <laughs> but thank you um i wanted um to to follow up with some questions and comments that we have but um as, as i as i prepare that um maybe maybe i could ask alana would would you share why this is an important subject to you yep <laughs> Um, so why this is so important
2: to me is I have multiple family members who are in the LGBTQ community. Um, some who have been church members in the past and some who haven't. Um, and I guess I just have seen the pain that that causes. I'm trying not to get emotional here. Um, the pain in the heart that they've had to go through um, due to how church members approach who they are and I loved a lot of what you said and I think every church member needs to hear this um if we could just like I've said it even regarding just in general if we can just love people the way that the saviour does without that judgment wouldn't the church be such a better place for everyone um I do have some struggles I did speak about that in my first podcast I have taken a step back from church just to try and figure things out um, but a lot of it is due to the pain. I have seen my family members who were church members who now lo- no longer attend and their families no longer attend. Um, and I guess I just hold on to that hope that, that there will come that change within the church. You know, I've heard hurtful things said by church leaders, d- disclosing them as those people they're not those people. They're children of God, the same as I am, same as Jane is, the same as Richard is. And and it's horrible to hear these people being defined as, you know, like I've said, these people, those people. Um, I think, you know, other things that that kind of hurt is when you hear people who think that they can say to people within the church because they're okay with the LGBTQ community, that they're apostate. Um, which again is wrong it's not it's it's not the saviour's way it's not well it's not my saviour's way you know christ is love to everyone everyone and i just i just really hold on to the hope that things will and have to change or we're going to lose a lot a
0: lot of people more than we have um thank you for sharing that alana um thank you alana thank you i i um before i i uh a little bit about why it's important to me um could you maybe could you maybe speak to that alana i, I love that you brought up a really important um point um that, I, that i've heard a lot that um i think especially um when you have a calling in church when you you take your covenant seriously you're you're representing the lord and members feel a need to defend the doctrine could you maybe speak to speak to that
1: um Ask that question again i thought you're asking yeah, sorry, a, so lot sorry. A, a lot of those listening as well as should.
0: yeah a, a lot of times i've heard people sort of you know what we can talk about um lgbtq issues in quite a supportive way but members will will often sort of come back to it's my responsibility to defend the doctrine and so every bit of support we sort of have to come back to re-emphasizing what church teachings are. So I was wondering if you could maybe speak to, you know, the the need to defend the doctrine um, and that tension with showing love.
1: It's a really good question. I'm a marketing guy and so we sometimes do um, word associations. I'll say a word and you tell me what comes to your mind first. Um, And so if I said England right now, for Americans they might think of Prince Philip or Brexit, and, but I think for a lot, of, a lot of Latter-day Saints, when we hear LGBTQ, we, we immediately kind of talk about the proclamation on the family and <clears throat> our doctrine that marriage is between a man and a woman. And my experience is that, and I wrote this in the book, that LGBTQ people are generally walking encyclopedias on everything the church has taught on this, and they generally don't need a reminder. In fact, Elder Ballard at BYU taught, and I put this in the book, generally people don't need us to preach to them. They need us to listen to them. And in the book, I also put um, the five questions that bishops should ask when someone comes out as LGBTQ. And none of them are reminders of our doctrine. They're all open-ended questions like, how can I support you? Um, how often would you like to meet? Tell me about your experience. And so I think we just need education. There may come a time in a, a trusted situation I, where a bishop needs to remind somebody of the doctrine. Um, but to me, sort of, I call it walking with somebody or getting on someone's road. So if someone comes out, then I think the, the first thing we do is, is hear their story without flipping the conversation back to us, without reminders. And then I think you create this relationship of trust that then you can talk and maybe you have a better spiritual prompting at that time, what to talk about that could be helpful. So I just think it's a great question. And I sustain and support our doctrine. We have copies of the Proclamation of the Family, uh, but I recognize for LGBTQ latter Saints, that can be very difficult because they don't know how that works for them. Um, they don't know how they fit in to an eternal family because it's it's outside of their control um, to ever, unless they want to be married to somebody in a mixed orientation marriage. So I think we just kind of acknowledge that the proclamation of the family works great for straight people, <laughs> um, for married people that have found a companion, and it is our doctrine. But we just, like Elder Ballard in his talk, we try to create a feeling of belonging for the many people in our church that That isn't working right now. Um, I think we can do both. So I think it's an education thing. That's a great question. And I think to what Alana said, we need to acknowledge people's pain, that they've had difficult experiences. I'm one of those church leaders. When I served, part of this, I'm doing this is for repentance for the things I did and said. Um, I was taught that I would have hit my companion in England if he'd came out as gay. That's what I was taught in 1979. I didn't ever have a gay companion, but that's what I'd heard we did. And we just, we should have done better. And I think it's okay to learn how to apologize individually and collectively as an institution. Um, I think that can heal people and heal and teach us all how to apologize. So I'm on a repentance tour in some ways um, for the things I've said and done. And inviting others to do a hard drive reset and, and to sit with people and their difficult experiences that people have had in this space. And so we can move forward.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I-, I wanted to just quickly share something um, be- before I um, talk about about um <laughs> talk about me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um th- there's a a friend of mine has, has commented um here that um he says hey I don't exist to be an object lesson for heteronormative cisgender LDS to learn about God's love and I just wanted to to thank you for um Gary for your 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 vulnerability in sharing that I think I think a lot of times marginalized groups um you know do do, it's it's painful um when we know we need to do better and it's marginalized groups who um you know are 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 assisting us to be better I I I just wanted to validate that um, and thank you for
2: sharing can I just I just wanted to share this and uh, so I don't forget we have Jada um, who's watching who says I just want to thank him and you two beautiful women for doing this being LGBTQ in the church is so painful
0: it's work like this that will lead to change um, so what I wanted to share was that um, uh, uh, many years ago, um, I remember sitting and um, teaching a, a youth Sunday school class and um, as we were talking, um, I remember having a distinct impression that um, someone here needs to know my story. Now, my story wasn't appropriate to share in a Sunday school setting and I'm thinking, you know, these, these are youth, This, um, this I, I need to sort of pray on this prompting some, but... Um, at that time I had thought um, I am bisexual and I just haven't ever had to really talk about it. You know, people who know me know my life and um, and uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And up until that point, I had really thought, you know, this is, this is personal, this is, it, it just isn't relevant until I received a spiritual prompting that um, maybe it's important to talk about it from time to time. And and as I did that, um, people were able to talk to me more. And um, so I, I guess I, I wanted to sort of stress that although my experiences in talking about being a member of the LGBTQ community, being a, a, a latter day saint, um, who holds a temple recommend, who I you know I'm, I'm married, I have a family, um, we we are, you know, I, I'm a part member household, um. I'm very engaged in the church. It's important to me. I have had nothing but positive experiences, nothing but positive experiences, but that is not everyone's story. And so I'm very, very aware that I've seen what can be wonderful and I've also seen what, what can hurt. Um, so I think we may have a little bit of instability in the internet, so I hope everyone can hear me still okay. Um, now, uh, a while back um, at the end of last year, I um, my mum my had been had been in touch with me expressing concern she had really felt like uh like, like my niece um may may commit suicide and she had real concerns about that and and it didn't really seem to have sort of come from anywhere um and I kind of thought of you know just a, an overprotective grandma until um uh, until we heard more from my niece she'd sort of reached out to me and my niece had um who has authorized me to share this um my niece now lives with us um permanently and we love having this addition to this wonderful addition to our family um, who we adore who is teaching us so much but um what i wanted to share was this this child who's come into our world um has, has been through a very, very difficult time. Now, when you, in your book, um, you talk about some of the statistics, and I just had wanted to, to amplify that a little bit. Um, LGB youth who come from highly rejecting families are 8.4 times as likely to have attempted suicide as LGB peers who reported no or low levels of family rejection. times more likely to report high levels of depression, 3.4 times more likely to use illegal drugs, and 3.4 times more likely to report having engaged in unprotected sex. And The fourth point you make is um, an LGBT youth who has just one accepting adult in their life reduces suicide rates by 40% for the LGBT youth
1: and will you tell people what page that's on just
0: that's that's on page 86 and i felt like that was really important um it it really hit me um to see i'm I'm thinking here's an over an overprotective grandmother a child who's come to us with with real trauma who who has you know who's self-harmed who's felt suicidal who is um is non-binary and is validated and is loved um I was looking at these statistics last night and thinking that could have been you. That could so easily have been, it it could so easily be you. So what things do I need to do to make sure that these statistics who all have names, um, what can I do to make sure that I'm showing, I'm showing love? So I wanted to just sort of thank you for that. Um, so my, my next question that I had is that, um, uh, isn't it easier just not to
1: talk about it? <laughs> I I think um, that's a good question. I It is easy to not talk about things, but I've learned that um, we're going to talk about these things and we just might as well learn to talk about them in the walls of our church. Um, there's people, because there's groups that have left our church that have... I have social media presence and podcasts that are talking about these topics. And if I want to talk about LGBTQ-related issues, and that's the only group that's talking about it, then I just might find community with groups that have left the church. So I think we need to learn to talk about it in our families, at church, and just have these kind of vulnerable, real discussions and open up about, we've got to learn to um, turn to our faith communities to have these honest discussions. And I think that helps us. And, and we need to normalize doubt and questions. Sometimes we have a litmus test on faithful Latter-day Saints that they never have a question. They never have any doubts. Um, there's a scripture in DNC that some is given to know, the some is given to believe. We all have different spiritual gifts. My wife has, and I know the church is true with every fiber being testimony. I have a, I believe the church is true, and I'm deeply committed, and I'm all in. Um, doesn't change anything on our behavior level, but she just has just that kind of a testimony. And I have a, I believe testimony (laughs) and we just, it's not, I can't, I don't have a magical formula to go from, I believe to, I know with every fiber of my being, I'm not putting that on me anymore as a Latter-day Saints. I'm just, I'm thinking my heavenly parents are pretty comfortable with where I'm at. I still have work to do, but I don't think they expect me to just fit into that near exact so that's kind of a long answer I think we just need to create it's what Paul did in 12th Corinthians he just helped everybody feel welcome I don't feel there should be a belief or behavior hurdle feel welcome in a congregation Elder Uchtdorf said there should be no sign at the door that says your testimony should be this high to enter and we have a principle-based gospel and he's teaching a principle there that everybody should be welcome there's no, the gate is wide at the congregation level. Everybody should feel welcome. The temple is where there's a belief and behavior hurdle. There's belief and behavioral questions, but let's don't kind of make that backwards and make that the norm, the requirement to feel welcome in a congregation. Um, even those that perhaps feel their immediate goal is not to get a temple recommend, let's don't make them feel like separate, second-class citizens. Um, they can serve in a lot of ways without a temple recommend, and feel like they belong in our congregations. Um, we don't want to make them feel like you've got to have a temple recommend to feel welcome in this congregation. So that's kind of a tangent. Um, okay. just some we, about... we like tangents.
2: <laughs> tangents are our okay. um, yeah, thing. just
1: we need to help more people feel like they belong, and love um, is so, the way to do that. Just what you said. Yeah.
2: I I just guess when you were talking about that, there was a couple of things that came to me, you know, when you talked about doubt, you know, there's this thing again in the church that says you can't have doubts and have faith at the same time that they can't exist together. I'm not a believer in that. I very much believe you can still have a faith in God, a faith in the church, but that you can have doubts because you have to have doubts to figure things out, right? Um, I guess the other question I have for you, just when you were talking about having those discussions within our church walls, I personally don't ever see that happening at the moment. Just, especially in my words, more so than anything. I think sometimes it's the fear of maybe becoming too difficult. But but what do you see are the the barriers that hold us back from talking about real life discussions? I guess for me, the way I looked at it is, you know, we, we talk about faith, we talk about temple attendance, we talk about all the things that we talk about all the time. What is stopping us as a church talking about LGBTQ, all the things that are p- affecting people, obviously on a wider scale than that. So, so what I, I'm trying to understand, why are we not talking about these things?
1: I think that's a great question. My feeling is a lot of local leaders are, are um, culturally, we don't gonna wanna get ahead of the brethren. We don't wanna get ahead of our leaders in Salt Lake City. And they're generally not talking about LGBTQ. Elder Ballard made that talk at BYU that I quoted Um, But generally, we're not talking about this subject. And so I think, as a church, so this is the pragmatic side of my brain, I don't have any evidence. And so I think a lot of local leaders just say, well, since I'm not going to talk about it either, because I don't have a training manual, I don't have any tools, I don't have other stakes doing this. I so I just I'm risk adverse, I'm conservative by nature, perhaps. And so I'm not going to do something that others and I just and so I'm not doing this under any church calling. The church hasn't asked me to do this. The church hasn't asked me not to do this. Yep. I think that's probably the best the church is going to do, even in my situation. I don't think the church is going to reach out and say, Brother Austin, really glad you're doing this. But the church hasn't reached out and said, stop doing this because yep. they recognize um, that I'm coming from a place of supporting the church and the leaders and trying to create more space. So I think if we all close our eyes, we could wake up in 20 years or 10 years or five years and listen to general conference talks. Um, I think this, it's back to chapter 40. I think a great deal will change on this. We'll learn how to talk about this right now. There's no church authorized LGBTQ support group. If you're LGBTQ or if you're a mother or father of an LGBTQ child, you don't have any church. You have the church's website, but you don't have any sort of program. There's no like, support organization with moms getting together to say, how do we do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I think this is just an area that we'll see a great deal of, um, because a, a lot of people's hearts are drawn to this topic. And to me, it's sort of back to general conference. We say love one another, we're inclusive, and we teach that. But this is where the rubber meets the road right now in a lot of communities and a lot of church circles is, okay, what happens with my gay friends? as a latter-day saint how do i treat people that are lgbtq and to me then you go back to the teachings of christ and everything he taught was um to be to love marginalized people and help them feel included
0: um when, <coughs> while oh, alana, while alana sort of feels a, a completely understandably you know we're in the same world. um that, that things you know you don't see things getting better i you know what I do. I I I think we're starting to have these conversations. But if we if we talk for a minute about those comfort levels, I think the reality is that you know, like um, you know, I'd mentioned Gary's comment. Um, people are going to be angry. People are going to be hurt. People are going to bring their pain. If we start talking about this, it's not going to be comfortable. Now, you use this fantastic word um in your book as you talked about. The November 2015 policy. Could I ask that you talk about, um, just, just for those who are not aware of what it is, about what the policy is and, uh, and how you use this fantastic word, unsettled?
1: Yeah, so the November policy statements, I think that's 2015, where just the church um, had a policy that um, children of same-sex couples could not be blessed or baptized. And that i was serving as a bishop and that was unsettling to me i never got a testimony to policy statements and my local stake president when i opened up to him he he didn't try to fix me on that he just let me continue to be unsettled he actually taught me the fallen domino principle he gave me permission to have a fallen domino or two as i made my way forward as a faithful Latter-day saint now, if, if our whole relationship was about me getting a testimony of the November policy statement or anything that any of your listeners, a lot of people do not have a testimony of polygamy, do not have a testimony of our history with race and that blacks were not able to have the priesthood. In. <laughs> and I think if we just give people permission to not have a testimony of that, it's not a requirement, um, to have a temple recommend, to be a member of the church, to have a testimony of polygamy, or a testimony of our, our past on how we handled black people. Um, it, we, have a, we have a requirement to sustain and support our current leaders. So I think if we, it, was a, it was a ministering home run as I opened up to him and how he handled it. Now the policy statements were reversed. So I don't wanna say that everything I've ever been unsettled about is eventually gonna get reversed. And I somehow got that right, and I don't want to build that narrative. It's just how we handle um, when someone is unsettled about something. That can be a really key ministering moment. Um, do we tell them to get in line? Do we tell them to have more faith? Do we tell them just to read the scriptures? I knew that since this was happening, while I was giving it all for the cause, that that narrative didn't apply to me. <laughs> Even during this very time, I was I had the chance to baptize a couple of people, and so I knew that. You know, this narrative that I was somehow not being faithful and having doubts that Lana talked about just didn't apply. I had doubts and was being faithful all at the same time. And I wouldn't go back, to be honest, to kind of a more black and white. I like where I am. I look at it as falling forward in my faith Mm -hmm. journey to just have more nuance and a little more gray. Now, I recognize some members, to your point, don't want any complication Um, in their life when it comes to church. Their life is already really complicated Um, six days a week. When they come to church, they don't really want to talk about complicated church issues because of the things you bring up. It opens up pain, it opens up our history, and they just want a balm of Gilead experience. And so I've recognized I don't bring up any of these topics at church um, because I recognize there's a lot of people in my congregation that just don't want to talk about this stuff. Um, But there's a lot that do, and so you've got to find that kind of way to some stakes. Have um, I've spoken at several stake release society events where they have on a Thursday night at a different guest lecture, and it's just an optional thing where they had someone talk about mental health, they had someone talk about this and this and this, and I talked about LGBTQ. It was a series of nights, and several stakes have done that. Um, So it's kind of outside of the two-hour block, and it's a little more opt-in, if that's a term that applies in the UK, where you can choose to engage in these more complicated subjects like you're doing right now. Uh, but then I think as we engage, we're able to take these principles and bring them into our congregation, because we, when we know better, we do better. I wish I could go back and redo about 30 years of my life on this issue, uh, maybe all the way back to England, to be honest. I don't remember too much of this issue ever coming up in England, but certainly in my many years since then. Do you want to
0: to ask, do you have a question?
2: I was just worried I would possibly cough.
1: And I've got a hard stop in about eight minutes. Okay, no worries.
2: So Deborah Coleman, who has a question says, do you think bottom up change happens as in those LGBTQ allies working in the wards will influence policy?
1: Uh, Bottom-up is a term that's a good term, just so everybody hears that. It's sort of where the local congregations can not get ahead of the brethren, but just do stuff like you're doing here that is consistent with church teachings, and it influences the seniors' levels of the church. And I think there's examples in church history. I think primary was started in a local congregation, if I've got my facts right, and it became a church-wide organization. Um, so I think some of that is possible in our church as we um, hopefully, you know, our senior leaders are looking what's working on a congregation level to to bring people unto Christ. That's ultimately the goal of the church and connect people with the atonement and and covenants. And so I think that does happen. I think in this case, younger people are much more connected to this issue and their hearts are just on a far different place than I was at their age. Um, millennials and Gen X, Gen Z, I get confused on what the age groups are, but I have great hope for the future of the world and the church. Um, I'm not, I think these are the last days. and We're one day closer to Satan's second coming, but I hold that in my mind and actually think the world is getting better in a lot of ways because of the younger people. And they look at the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying, what can I do? Um, In my circle of influence, to reach out to the most marginalized and help them feel fully included, and even take on issues about making Mother Earth better, um, environmental issues. And so I think I have a lot of hope for this issue in our world, in our church, as, as, and some of that just may be generational, where younger people just have a different experience. So they may just be able to put together programs and and perhaps they'll ask questions of our Heavenly Father that we have, haven't felt impressed to ask right now. I don't know what questions our leaders are asking. I don't know what the answers would be. I support and sustain them in our doctrine, but it's possible that our article faces more light and understanding. It's possible that we will get changes on this topic that are kind of driven by the bottom up and just more awareness of this.
0: Yeah, we are living church. Um Brother Osler, maybe, you know, it would be great if we could have a chat, you know, in, in the future, some kind of follow up episode, because there are so many questions that, you know, we could continue to ask your thoughts about. Um, I have family members who are commenting on the thread, which I'm loving to see. Um, Because what is really important to me is that you, in your book, which I really just want to just put a fine point on this please buy this book especially if you're a leader please buy this book um but we had an experience um earlier today um that I just wanted to share you amplify the stories of people and because you do that um I I feel like it makes it possible for me to understand um things that I want to but I don't have the capacity to do that yet because I haven't walked in your shoes um so my niece um several weeks ago um has experienced gender dysphoria before um but my niece was speaking to me about just I think one day it just had all just really hit to the point where um they can remember the date they can remember where they were standing and, and and they had shared this experience with me about feeling um gender dysphoria and while I could sort of Talk about how i'm so sorry it's happening and um, that you're wonderful and that you know we we will do all we can to support you i am so sorry you're feeling that like this i understand that it must be very very painful but i don't know what that must feel like so i'm here to listen now in your book i read something last night um and i've taken i've taken this into to show my niece and we we had this th- this moment, and I'd said, is, "Is this what you're trying to tell me?" So in your book, you um on page two forty eight, you talk about um the words of Grayson, um uh, a a transgender young man who is ex- he's explaining the distress of gender dysphoria, and you mentioned it earlier the feeling of car sickness. But if it's okay, I'd like to read this paragraph. Um Grayson had said, "Have you ever gotten carsick?" Car sickness like many other forms of motion sickness occurs when your inner ears and your eyes disagree about whether you're moving. Gender dysphoria is like that. Awful, nauseating, headache inducing wrongness from the disagreement of your mind and your body. And you feel it every time you wear the wrong clothes or are called by the wrong pronoun, or you hear your own voice, or someone looks at you and sees something you aren't Every time you look in the mirror, every time you think about yourself, it's like a knife in the gut because it's wrong, wrong, wrong. It's not you, but it won't go away and it won't stop and it hurts. It hurts like nothing you can imagine and nothing I can describe. It's so bad that I would literally rather die than feel like that again, even for a day. And when I read that and said, is this... Is is this what I need to know? And uh, and Lan had had tears and was very emotional about it. And <laughs> and uh, and yeah, that's. Thank you for helping me to understand. Thank you to Grace and thank you f- to you for amplifying that <clears throat> voice. Um. Before I let you go and uh, share any closing words that you want, to, you want to share with us, I want to come back to something else in your book that very, very simple and short that Ben Shilati, um had, had shared. And it's on page 183, if anyone wants to have a look. that he says, um, he, he, he bears a powerful um, testimony of the atonement, very simply. He says, I always share Alma 32, 23, and then say... I used to think the atonement of Jesus Christ was supposed to make me straight, but instead it healed my broken heart. And I, I guess if I if I have a testimony to bear of the atonement, it is that, um, that it heals all of our hearts um, and is continuing to teach us and help us to be better. Um, thank you for your time, Brother Osler. What I'm going to do is just hand the time back over to you to take us out with any closing words that you'd like to share.
1: Well, I want to tell you two women, I love you. And I sense your great hearts. You've both been vulnerable. You've taught us how to be vulnerable. You shared a little bit about your life with us. Um, If I were there in Scotland, I'd give you a big hug. Um, It takes courage to do what you both just did on this podcast or this, whatever we're calling this, this YouTube um, video. And it takes courage to do what you're doing, to try to talk about these subjects, and I think you're both two great women doing really courageous things, and you're leaders to help other people know how to do this, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I'm glad you brought me on the program, and that's me speaking to everybody that's part of this, is we're all the same human family. We have this beautiful restored doctrine that says we have loving heavenly parents Um, a heavenly mother and a heavenly father were their spirit children. Nothing we can do can take them us outside of the circle of their love. They love us and they know each of us individually and we could each have a personal relationship with them. And that to me is just beautiful doctrine. And so I, I hope everybody can come together more. I wanted to give a shout out earlier to another common friend we have Ben Hunter. (laughs) Uh, um, I want to, There's a few people in your neck of the woods I want to make sure, in addition to um, Brother MacArthur, Alan MacArthur, who's such a great influence on me as a missionary, um, picked me up as the leader, assistant to the president, and somebody I deeply admire and love. And Anyway, um, thank you for the chance to be here, and I just hope everybody acts on impressions that come to your mind about how to make your way forward.
0: Thank you so much. Um, We're going to end the live stream here. And uh, just if I could just let everyone know, thank you for your comments. And this will be released in podcast form in a few days. We will give you all a shout out and let you know when that's happening on all the usual places. Um, In the words of um, Brother Osler in his book, um, the best resource um, that is out there to support our LGBTQ brothers and sisters is you. So thank you so much, everyone. Make good choices (laughs) and we'll see you soon. Thank you.